This week on the podcast, nonprofitnewsfeed.com information from March 22nd in the past week. Here today, we have Carisha Martinez and Nick Azalea to talk about what has been going on in nonprofit news that we aggregate, again, from our free little weekly email, nonprofitnewsfeed.com. Want to kick us off? Sure, George, I can kick us off. So our first story comes from the great city of New York, where apparently the city of New York owes its homeless nonprofit organizations at least $150 million in unpaid invoices, uh, according to a survey of homeless shelter operators. Of course, during the pandemic, the city had uh, made a push to get folks experiencing homelessness into temporary housing, but this has appeared to compound a problem that's been going on for years, which is the city being incredibly delayed on paying invoices to the nonprofit organizations that run these homeless shelters. And I I don't know what the system is, but it seems like it's verging on the point of crisis. I don't know, George, is this you know, just kind of -of run-of-the-mill bureaucratic inefficiency, or is this something more serious? You know, I think the overall numbers, just to put it in context, the city spends about $2 billion a year, you know, reported on on contracts with about 70 different nonprofit groups um, to support people experiencing homelessness in New York City. They have, you know, sort of a mandate uh, at a city level to say that anybody who needs a bed gets a bed. Um, And that's sort of something very special about New York. So it's a big price tag uh, to be paying. But this sort of gap in government funding like creates an amazingly hard cash flow. Like any business that you're in, imagine if you render services. So like whole well, we are a company. If we rendered services and our clients didn't pay us for an entire year, like where is salary coming from? Where are benefits coming from? The company would go out of business. And essentially it's like forcing nonprofits to do, you know, do this work while also not being a good faith actor in, in compensation. These numbers are massive. And like all that is doing is causing instability in the organization. Uh, and, you know, if it's a city shortfall, then why should nonprofits be be paying for the, the pain on that? Anyway, it's, you know, something that I'm glad that they're writing about. And, you know, it seems like a, you know, an annoying accounting thing. It's not like, that's a lot of money. And that's a lot of interest, even like sitting in a bank account, like this is how banks make money. It's called money and float, right? That that period of time, right? They should be suing for interest on that money, 7%, whatever it may be like, hey, uh, they got to get, you know, got to get those books, right? That's just, you know, it's too much money to push on on stressed organizations. I agree. And but in, in a similar vein, when talking about government contracts, uh, providing people with housing. We have another story from the Texas border where ICE, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, has signed an $86.9 million contract to house migrant families at the border. Now, the contract is with a Texas-based nonprofit called Endeavors, and it will provide up to 1,200 beds as a short-term housing solution um, by families who come to the border and await trial. Um, but to me, this just screams again that the government is relying on nonprofits to render critical services in the face of crisis. And I don't know what the solution is here. I think it's a, a, a kind of a sticky problem that our federal government's 
allowed to compound upon itself over decades of inaction and inadequate immigration reform. But uh, it looks like here, at least, a nonprofit being called on to fill a gap. I think this is the beginning of a much larger trend of nonprofits needing to step up on a lot of different levels for dealing with the social services uh, necessary for this crisis. That um, it is only going to grow, um, and I think there are, uh, you know, consequences to any decision. But right now, the the flood of uh, children under the age of 18 into the, the country's borders is creating like urgency and crisis. And it's, you know, where do you turn this Texas nonprofit called Endeavors? Like they're stepping up. I think there's going to be more uh, nonprofits stepping up to say, hey, uh, you know, it's very clear that, frankly, the <laughs> systems that the government has in place there are not scaling and are not ready. And so, you know, I imagine if we dug into it, it's like 86 million for 1200 beds, you're like, there's weird math. But also, you don't know the entire uh, ecosystem of, uh, of the level of support and what they're needing to do for, for child services. And that's, you know, ultimately what happens, you know, if you need someone to step up in an emergency, it's a, it's, it's a far cry from being able to plan ahead and efficiently deploy resources. You end up with uh, emergency stopgaps. So really looking at nonprofits uh, in this growing crisis to come up with these types of solutions and hopefully forward-looking ones uh, that that prepare our our country for the years ahead. All right, Carisha, should we go into the summary of news bites that we collected? Yeah, lots of headlines regarding nonprofit um, and nonprofit funding. Our first headline um, reads, Amy Klobuchar and other Democrats are pushing a $50 billion aid package for nonprofits. And this is part of the Work Now Act uh, authored by Senator Amy Klobuchar um, to give money kind of similar to more COVID COVID funding of $50 billion to help nonprofits specifically around hiring. So this grants nonprofits up to $3 million per organization with the goal of helping to keep their employees on staff. We've kind of tracked a lot of uh, staffing and hiring and job security around nonprofits for the past couple of weeks now. And this could really help a lot of nonprofits who are stretched um, in terms of capacity to do the work that they really need to do and hiring more people, getting people more trained and having more support. Um, to do a lot of this work. Yeah, I um, I wouldn't hold your breath if you're a nonprofit on this one. Having 1.9 trillion already make it its way through the Congress. You know, she brought this up last year in May uh, with uh, with very little success to it. But I like seeing it positioned at least in terms of number of jobs, right? They're talking about the like 926,000 jobs that were lost in the sector. So it's job creation in addition to service rendering, right? Our service to each other. So it is, you know, dollars put to work on two sides. And I like that she continues to push this. I'm not going to hold my breath on on this necessarily passing, but good to know and good even if you are in that world to, to support organization uh, to support representatives that put forward bills that have that mindset in place. This is a double bottom line for creating jobs and also support services that we just talked about, two critical ones uh, in, in just this news roundup. 
Right, exactly. And even if it doesn't get passed, at least it brings up the conversation of, you know, strained organizations who could need more capacity, more money, more funding, um, and to make more impact for sure. More nonprofit funding news. Our next headline reads, uh, increased PPP eligibility for larger nonprofits. This is something that we've been covering a little bit over the past couple of weeks, um, but this is really expanding that payment protection program to larger nonprofits, um, oftentimes nonprofits that again, are larger and have more affiliate organizations, weren't eligible for the PPP, uh, for the PPP payment paycheck protection program. Um, So this would extend that funding to organizations that have affiliates, uh, where the employees do not exceed 500 employees. Um, So really exciting. Um, And President Biden signed into law, uh, the American Rescue Plan Act, which includes this paycheck protection program. Really rolls off the tongue. Paycheck protection program. (laughs) Talk about say three times fast. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, you know, just right on the back of that, that there's money headed toward nonprofits and and quite a bit of it, but you know, salute to Amy Klobuchar to get a little bit more. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Yeah. Another headline reads, um, really thinking about federal support that's been coming in, right. Thinking about this PPP. Um, but still many groups are still struggling. Um, we're thinking about arts organizations. We talked last week um, or the week before about uh, the Met needing to sell some of its art to really keep up uh, their programs and keep uh, people employed. So money is definitely going in and that's super exciting, um, but there's still a lot of work and support that could be used for a lot of these other organizations as well. Yeah, we linked to this. Um, this is from theconversation.com. Um, and, you know, the, the stat that they put out there, which is interesting, is more than 60% of nonprofit social services, arts and culture organizations got the PPP loans um, during the, the first part of the you know, COVID pandemic. So you know, that's a strong percentage. And, you know, I'd imagine that even more were probably even eligible for it before maybe it ran out. So uh, probably see them going back uh, for more support and in a high percentage. This is a lot of folks. Yeah, 60% is a, is a good number for sure. It's more than half <laughs> if we're doing math. Um, awesome. Some more headlines. This one I thought was particularly interesting. The headline reads, Jesuits pledge to raise $100 million to atone for slave labor and sales. Um, and this is coming from philanthropynewsdigest.org. Um, the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States has recently pledged to raise $100 million to benefit the descendants of enslaved people um, it once owned and to promote racial reconciliation uh, initiatives across the United States. And what this is really talking about is reparations, right? Um, Thinking of the people who worked to create these organizations a while back, it was um, Georgetown University, which uh, we now know that was really built off the slate, off the backs of enslaved peoples and black people. Um, so another kind of interesting uh, move into reparations, which is something that's always in the forefront, I think, of a lot of people's minds, um, especially thinking about uh, kind of this race and privilege that happens. Yeah, they're saying the funds raised will be added to an endowment um, of the Descendants Truth and Reconciliation Foundation. Uh, which was, you know, created, it seems, in partnership with the community there. And I think, you know, this came from long negotiations with the Jesuits, you know, and showing that narrative uh, of Georgetown and what happened um, back in the 1800s. And it, it's the largest number I've seen 
associated with the acknowledgement of slave labor and a version of, of reparations. And I think it's going to take uh, a lot more time. And I think there's just more than one institution that might be interested in taking a look at what happened to its history. So uh, I, I saw this pop up and I really wanted to make sure it's in here because it could be part of, you know, how uh, various institutions um, begin to acknowledge, respond, and really, frankly, put their money where their mouth is and should have been uh, for for their role in history, um, especially if they're still today living off of that brand um, that was built um, by many hands and some of them unpaid. Yeah, for sure. Um, like I said, definitely a new kind of hat into the reparations conversation, um, but hopefully it'll snowball and more people will feel inclined to kind of do more fundraising like this. Um, so again, super exciting um, and exciting to see how much they raise. Our last headline under the summary um, is Bill Ackman donates stock worth of $1.34 billion to charity. Um, that's a pretty large number. And Bill Ackman uh, donated the stock worth over a billion dollars to his Perishing or Pershing Square Foundation, um, which is a donor advised fund and nonprofit. Um, again, more kind of billionaire donations, um, which is always nice <laughs> for sure. Um, hopefully, can make a lot of change. Yeah, and a reminder the join the giving pledge. Like, I mean, I don't want the news feed to like just always be summarizing. And then this billionaire gave this much, and then this billionaire gave this much. I think uh, it's it's important to know because it's a lot of money going from one pocket to another. But essentially, when it goes to a DAF, as a reminder, that money isn't necessarily being deployed today. It's going forward, you know, helping the ongoing gifts of the Pershing Foundation. So, okay. The other narrative here is the giving pledge, givingpledge.org. If you're sort of like curious, it's been out there. He joined in 2012, but essentially, you know, it is a pledge that you are giving away your wealth. And this is what a lot of billionaires are sort of like being socially pressured into, um, you know, the likes of, uh, I believe, you know, Buffett, um, obviously Bill Gates, um, part of that and Ackman on that list. So if you want to see this like list of billionaires that have made this pledge, uh, you can go to givingpledge.org and kind of get a sense of how social pressure is working in a very positive way here uh, for uh, for this pledge. <laughs> Move into feel-good stories from the sector. What do we want to highlight, Nick? George, I got a great one for you. Um, so as it turns out, a nonprofit uh, in North Carolina, um, uh, the Rutherford Housing Partnership, uh, has created, I think, a, a, a genius money making for good scheme. And here's the here's here's the gist: for twenty dollars, you can have a goat, a real goat, join your business's Zoom chat. Now, you might be asking, what will a goat do on the Zoom? And quite frankly, George, I have absolutely no idea. But I also know for our future Zoom meetings, uh, I would appreciate having a goat in one or two of them. Um, but for $20, you can have a goat join your Zoom meeting and the proceeds go to help folks experiencing um, housing crises or housing shortages, um, kind of supporting those folks. Uh, so a fun, fun idea, a great cause, um, and, and, and more goats. I wish I were kidding, but I'm not. I think this is perfect. This is what the world needs right now. More goats, 
supporting more nonprofit donations, and we had to we had to do it. Um, it's worth it. I think the price. I think they set the price too low. I gotta be honest. Set the price too low. So any advice there? Well, that's what we have. Don't be surprised if a goat shows up in your next Zoom. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Carisha. And you can check out and get free weekly emails from nonprofitnewsfeed.com, where we aggregate these every week just for you. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you.